Well, good morning. Good morning. Glad to be with you this morning. Um, our I'm a coach at Marquette. Our football season took a transition here from this past week going into this next week. On Thursday night, we had our last JV game, and I would certainly have loved to close the season with a W, but it was not to be. And um, then Friday night, our varsity game sort of had a similar fate, but we are playoff bound, get to make the nice trip to uh, Gaylord next Friday for the first round of the playoffs. And it's always interesting coming to the end of a season. Um, we started off sort of in earnest the second week of August, two-a-days. Uh, those are long days for, for two solid weeks. And there's this anticipation of the season starting. And, and that first game, the, the kickoff, the first play, and um, I was thinking about this morning's message, and uh, one of the things I was reminded of is that first game, that first play on offense, right? And some of you guys aren't football fans or sports fans, I'm sorry, but you have to indulge me for a moment here. So I call plays for the football team, and if you do watch football, you probably see a guy with something tucked in his pants or whatever that, that looks something like this, where it's got colors and scribbles and stuff like this on it. And one of the questions that the kids ask as we get to that last practice and we get into the, 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 the first game there is, what play are we going to run first? What play are we going to run first? They're hyped up for this and they want to see what happens. And well, for the last two years, um, you know, each team's a little bit different. We have strengths and weaknesses. Uh, but for the last two years, uh, I figured, why not start going out swinging, right? I mean, big, big, big play and see what happens on the first play of the, of the year. So um, for, for me, this is what we called the very first play of the first game. This is the trips right, ace, 819 hitch. Don't expect any of you guys to know what that means. But that is basically uh, three receivers that are going on deep routes in, in some combination, and we're going to let the ball fly. We're going to see what happens. All right. First play of the game, blocked it well. Quarterback steps back. The receivers get off. There's no real pressure at all. My quarterback just lets it fly. 70-yard touchdown. First play of the first game of the season. So it was a beautiful start to the season, and then uh, that game finished well, but I really wanted to come out with a bang. I wanted to set the tone uh, for the rest of the season. I wanted to set the tone for the players. I wanted to set the tone for opponents, because this is on film, if they're going to review us before they play us. And on this last Thursday, um, last game of the season, first play of the game, we're in Kingsford, and it's spitting a little bit of rain, and I kind of had this notion of, Let's, let's see what happens if we go over the top again. And so that the rain's spitting before my quarterback runs out on the floor, out on the grass, I said, how, how, how you feeling? Like, is it, is, you're gonna have a grip on the football? Yeah, coach, no problem. So sure enough, call in play 63. What worked the first time around, it's gonna work the second time around, right? So he drops back, great protection, receivers get off, boom, 65 yard touchdown. 
first play of the last game. Unfortunately, that was the highlight of our game <laughs> on Thursday, and it was kind of downhill from there. But I wanted to start off with a bang, and we get that in this passage today. There's some other uh, maybe references that you uh, may or may not understand. Uh, there's a show that I used to watch that, that has to do with um, the mob, and, and one of the characters goes into a diner uh, one day to confront uh, one of the other mob people, and he's letting him have it, and some of these mob shows and movies aren't, aren't, aren't wholesome, uh, you know, those kinds of things. But anyway, the, the guy looks up at him and he says, the next time you come in here and confront me, you come heavy or don't come at all, which meant come armed, right? That might be something that, that you've heard. Um, something else that, that comes to mind, and you'll see in a little bit later slide, um, maybe you've heard this phrase, coming in hot, right? You're coming in hot. Well, John the Baptist today is coming in hot, all right? Uh, if you are new today, you've picked a, 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 an interesting passage to show up on. Uh, my final reference, because I just simply could not uh, go without doing this, uh, would be this. Uh, so I guess you can say things are getting pretty serious. Um, this is from one of my top five favorite movies, Napoleon Dynamite. Let's you in a little bit of my personality here, just a little bit. That's all I'm going to give you. Um, but this is Kit here saying that uh, things are going to get pretty serious. And, and we're going to see that uh, in this message today, things are going to get pretty serious. All right, we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 20, but our focus today is going to be specifically on verses uh, 7 through 14, verses 7 through 14. Um, I wanted to change things up a little bit and give you some context before we read the passage together so that as we read through, you're already in a little bit of a frame of mind of uh, what's happening, where it's happening, who's involved, and whatnot. Some of these, for those of you that are regular attenders, are going to be familiar pictures to you. On the left, uh, in the colored sections, this would be when we read in New Testament, like the world, uh, all the world. Uh, this colored section is what they would have been referencing. This is the Roman Empire uh, at or around the end of the first century AD, but this would have been what was the known world to them. And you see the little blow up to the right uh, in our New Testament or specifically in the Gospels. This is the primary area that we see the events of Jesus's life and ministry take place. At the north there, you'll see the small body of water, that's the Sea of Galilee, and the larger body of water there towards the bottom is the Dead Sea. Those are, should be familiar terms for you there. Um, this picture here, uh, last week, you'll recall that that uh, John the Baptist lived and worked out uh, in the wilderness. This is what would have been considered the Judean wilderness uh, at that time. So you can see that highlighted area there. And wilderness, I, I think for us, we probably 
faint sand and, and rolling hills, kind of beach-like. Uh, it's not at all like what it was. This would be more representative of uh, what the wilderness was. Uh, these are pictures uh, in that area over there. So very, very rough terrain. So when we hear and we just read quickly that people are moving from here to there and doing these things, like obviously they don't have the kind of travel that we have today, but like it would have been just immensely difficult to travel, days to go a handful of miles. And so, uh, for instance, earlier when we talked about uh, going from Nazareth uh, to uh, to Bethlehem or to Jerusalem. It's about a four-day journey, 80, 90 miles through this type of terrain. And so I think sometimes it's good to see maps and pictures to acclimate ourselves uh, to what's going on. But let's go ahead and uh, read through uh, the passage together. Uh, if you would and you're able, could you stand with me uh, as we read God's Word this morning? Again, we're in Luke chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 20. Uh, I, I think it's important sometimes, even when we focus in on specific parts of passages, that we get the whole context of what's going on here. And so this will help you see sort of what we covered last week and also what we'll cover uh, after the next week, because it all kind of goes together. So Luke chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. This is who we know as John the Baptist. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low and the crooked will be made straight and the rough roads smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. These next handful of verses are our focus today, 7 through 14. And so he was saying to the crowds who were going to be, or going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. But indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, well, then what should we do? And he would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. And the tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, well, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. And the soldiers were also questioning him, saying, What should we do? And he said to them, 
Do not take money from anyone by force or extort anyone and be content with your wages. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation and all were reasoning in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered them, saying to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reproved by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning, uh, bringing us to your word and bringing us together to sing uh, your praises, Lord. That's not something that we take for granted and we relish the ability and the opportunity to do that each uh, and every week. Lord, I lift up uh, Steve Smith who uh, was in, uh, took a fall from a ladder uh, yesterday. Lord, we praise you that there was not uh, any major injuries, uh, certainly pride hurt and some bumps and bruises, uh, but nothing that, that rest uh, and time won't uh, help him recover from, Lord. So be with him uh, during that. Lord, I, uh, I continue to lift up the net who's uh, got ongoing health problems. Lord, we continue to pray for uh, medical staff as they diagnose and treat, Lord, and we just pray that if it's your will, that she would be uh, better and be back to full health. Lord, for today's message, I pray that uh, above all that we would have open hearts and, and minds and, and ears as we cover a, a difficult passage, Lord, uh, one where John the Baptist isn't, isn't bashful. He's, he's direct, Lord. So I pray that we would take away exactly what it is that that you have for us this morning, and that each of us will grow through this study. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I've got two primary points uh, this morning as we work through uh, verses 7, and four, seven through 14. Uh, each have uh, several sub-points. And the, the first one is one of the phrases that I used uh, earlier, coming in hot, coming in hot. And as we uh, saw there in verse 7, John the Baptist starts off with, uh, so he was saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I'm wondering how you all would react if there was no good morning, no welcome, no easy on-ramp story, and I simply looked out at you and I called you all snakes. And I called you liars and thieves. And I called you all of the different kinds of sinful things that we are. I mean, straight out of the gate, right? I'm going to guess there might be a few people that would certainly be um, uneasy, if not get up and walk out. If you grew up in a 
maybe a small Baptist-type church. You've probably heard the term hell and brimstone. Uh, maybe, you've, maybe you've had sermons like that where, where they, they, they come out swinging, right? They're coming out uh, hot. And uh, John the Baptist certainly does this from the get-go. He's, he's coming out hot. And I wanted to spend this first point talking a little bit about John the Baptist, but specifically in his role uh, as a, a preacher or as a, as a herald, what he's doing here in the wilderness. And I see uh, three, certainly this is not an exhaustive three that we can see from this passage, but at least three uh, points here that we can see and take from John the Baptist and, and learn uh, specifically for me as a teacher, but, but also for you as hearers of a message this morning, but also those that are to take the gospel out uh, to your family and friends and neighbors and those sorts of things. And we see uh, John do three things here. We see him confront, uh, we see him connect, and then we see him convict. So we see John confront. And again, there's probably not a much more uh, clear way to confront than just coming out of the gate swinging here. You brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, this is one instance of what would have been typical of John the Baptist's preaching. So this wasn't just a one-time occurrence. This was the information and the, and the kinds of things that would represent uh, how, how John the Baptist interacted uh, with the Jewish crowd. Now, remember here, that is an important thing for us to know and to understand as we read through these, uh, certainly these initial stages of Jesus's ministry, or this is just slightly before, remember that John the Baptist and, and Jesus oftentimes are interacting with a Jewish audience, right? And I'll get to this in a minute, but that's why they talk about Abraham and some other things. It's a Jewish audience. And so this is a group of people that have been under God's guidance now for 2,000 years-ish to one degree or another, and the time had come for uh, this tide to turn. The, the, the Old Testament system was no longer working. You recall that very first graphic that I showed up with the map of the Roman Empire. They had taken over and, and, and pushed out uh, Judaism, uh, and, and the people didn't help themselves or help themselves in that regard. Last week, we talked a little bit about uh, syncretism, which is the, the melding of multiple religions into one, where we take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this, and we, we get a religion out of it. And so that's what was impacting uh, the, the Jewish the nation, Israel, at the time. And God finally said, enough, it's time for the Messiah to come. And so we see this, this, again, this confrontation here. John's not mincing any words. Um, this is not typical in churches today, right? If you read articles, if you watch YouTube videos, if you're at other churches, unfortunately, a, a great number of churches, you might not hear anything about sin, you might not hear anything about repentance. You might not hear anything about uh, turning away from something. What you usually get is sort of the extreme version of the other side of it. 
everything will be better. You kind of get the, I think a few weeks ago I joked and said sort of the Skittles version, the sunshine and rainbows of the gospel. God loves you. He wants you to be part of his family. And all of those things are true. But what we see clearly in this text and what we saw last week in the text that part of the true gospel message, part of the complete gospel message is repentance. Repentance. Now, if uh, that word is new to you or you have a vague understanding of it, what it literally means is that you're going in one direction, sinful direction, and you can fill in the blank with any kind of sin that you want. And to repent means to do a 180, flee from that sin, and go towards God. All right? That's, in a nutshell, what it means. So that is an integral uh, absolute part of the complete and full gospel message. Yes, God loves you. Yes, we should have hope in him as our savior. Nobody's disputing those things. But to get the complete picture of the gospel message, it's clearly saying here that there are steps, there is, there's a part that we play in that. We believe, we trust and out of that should be this repentance. This should be this turning away from sin. Does that make sense? Now, the next thing that we see uh, here is some connection. And, and by that, I don't mean like you and I are connected and we're super bud, like besties kind of a thing. I mean, I, there is a little bit of that. But what I mean uh, by connect is this connecting uh, to a larger subject, and, and specifically in this regard, a connection to the biblical past and what we'll come to learn as we study Luke, a connection to the biblical future. We don't see something happening in isolation here, right? We see Abraham called upon. Um, we, last week, we talked about this baptize thing, what that would have meant uh, to contemporary Jews at that time, uh, Gentiles would come in and want to be Jewish. They had to be circumcised and they had to be baptized much in the same way that we would do it today as, as a sign of the cleansing of their filth and, and, and being brought into the fold of Judaism. And so there's these anchor points, if you will, to the past, these connection points to the past. And, and, and one... A uh, thing that I would say about this particular subpoint is when we study the Bible, whether it's in this format or on our own or in a Bible study, one of the things that we have to be careful about is that we don't read one verse in isolation, in a vacuum, and then we build this theology upon it, uh, that we base all of our actions on it. There are uh, things called cults that do that sort of a thing. So one of the things as we study the Bible that, that we want to be sure to do is anchor what we read here with other places in the Bible. And if we're good students of the Bible, uh, we'll be able to do that. A, because we read and we're familiar enough with it that, oh, oh, that reminds me of fill in the blank. Or uh, if you might have a Bible this one doesn't have it, and I don't think the ones in your seatbacks do, but if you have a personal Bible with you, you might have a section uh, in the middle 
or at the bottom of cross-references. So if, if we were reading this passage in your own Bible, you're probably going to see a little footnote here as it references Abraham, our father, and it's going to take you back in time into the Old Testament, and it's going to give you some references for what this is talking about. If you don't know, uh, Abraham is, is the father uh, that was going to bless many nations. That was a covenant through uh, God way back uh, in the beginning. Uh, Genesis uh, 12 is where it first starts and continues, and we build Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, other characters. Um, that's what this is referencing here. And so there's this connection to the past. See, what the, what the Jewish people, especially the Jewish leaders, were trying to do in this whole section uh, is to say, we are God's chosen people. God chose us way back then, and he said that he was going to deliver us it was an everlasting covenant that wouldn't end. And yes, there's standards, and yes, we're supposed to do this, and yes, we're supposed to do that, but God said that we're his chosen people, and that was going to hold us forever. And so what's happening in this time frame is that people are going through the motions. Uh, by this time, there would have been 600 Plus 613, I think, is the, these rules that came through Pharisees and Sadducees that they were supposed to be following, and they had to check all of these boxes on top of what we can clearly see in the Bible. And so there was this sort of repetition for the sake of repetition that was going on. And what they are saying here, what John is confronting, is that because I'm part of that, I'm good, they're hanging their hat on, on history in that way. Now, where that might apply to you and I, uh, I've used this example a couple times in these passages, like with my kids. Uh, certainly, we are obligated biblically uh, to, to raise our kids uh, in a Christian home with Christian principles and, and do that. If, if you've been here before for um, a child dedication, one of the things that we do is ask the parents uh, do you commit to raising your kid uh, in a Christian home with Christian values? And then we ask the congregation to stand and, and, and make the same pledge, and we do that together. We raise our kids uh, together uh, in, 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 with Christian values. But where that starts and stops is we can raise our kids with those values uh, so long as they're under our roof and under our control to, to, to one degree or another, but my faith is not my son's faith. It doesn't automatically transfer. My wife's faith doesn't automatically transfer to my daughter's. Uh, there's some passages that, that Paul talks about where our family members are considered to be uh, set aside, but again, it's about where we're building in the principles and the values uh, these, the, that were taught in the Bible, but that doesn't automatically make them Christians. It doesn't automatically make them believers. And so my son at 20, according to this passage, would say something like, well, you're a Christian and mom's a Christian, so that means that I'm a Christian. Yeah, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the New Testament Teaches He has to come to and has come to uh, his own faith in Christ. And so that's 
what's happening here as John is confronting uh, this piece with uh, Abraham, our father. Um, and then the last point here is this conviction. So, so John, there's this convicting spirit. There's this convicting spirit. We see that in two places here. We, we see it even broader in, in all of those 20 verses. But he says, therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So what that means is that just because you're a, a child of Abraham and you're part of the chosen people Israel, that's not good enough. This is a new covenant that's about to be established. We should be bearing fruits in repentance, right? This is transitioning now from this uh, where we have to do all of these things and check all of these boxes which didn't work and the people never fulfilled to this once-for-all sacrifice that we're getting into the more we get into Luke. These fruits that needed to be bore were fruits of righteousness, fruits in keeping with repentance. The fruits that would come from, I'm going in this direction, doing these types of things that are counter to what God would have for me, and I've turned and ran away from them. And I've pursued God, fruit that would come from that. But he, he, he goes further here in this passage, and he talks about, uh, but indeed the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Whew, that doesn't sound very, very nice, does it? That's not a soft landing, right? So this is, this is saying that Literally, the picture that he's talking about here is that the axe is already at the base of the tree. These things are in motion and they're happening. And if we're not bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, chop off into the fire. Well, that should be something that makes us sit back. That should be something that makes us wonder, where do I stand? right? Like, where do I stand? Am I bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? It says, every, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and, and thrown into uh, the fire. That, that's a scary thing. Well, thankfully, John doesn't leave us, or Luke doesn't leave us wondering, well, what could this mean? He gives us some very practical examples uh, and this would be my second point. What is true repentance? And again, this is not an exhaustive list. This is simply pulling some things out of this particular passage that we can see as clear-cut, practical examples that, that you and I can learn directly from and then extrapolate, well, what am I struggling with? What do I need to repent from? And what might the solution be to that? And so we're going to see uh, three things as we work through a couple of these next verses. If we're truly repentant, if these folks were truly repentant that John is preaching to and that he's interacting with, uh, then we'll see uh, at least these kinds of things. We'll be charitable and generous. We'll be candid and honest and we'll be content and satisfied. So where do we, where do we see this? He's got three interactions with, with three uh, different people. The, the first one is a group of people, and then we've got two specific instances. And so as he's working with 
the crowd and preaching to the crowd here, uh, you can imagine that there would be many voices saying, like, we hear you, but what does that mean? What should we do with that? that that's great information, or that's scary, but like, what, okay, how do I fix it? How, how do I repent? What does that look like? And so the crowds were questioning him, saying, then what should we do? And he would answer them and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. So this first one is about being charitable and generous, about being charitable and generous. Now, remember, these are specific instances, so this is not a end-all, be-all list of ways that we would be sinning and things that we should repent from. But one of the things that we see consistently uh, through each one of those examples is maybe something that we might label just as greed, right? That we, that we, have, a, we have a lot in one way, shape, or form, uh, and we're keeping it and hoarding it for ourselves. And so the first way that he tackles this is to talk about being charitable and generous. And for him and for them, they would have had all sorts of passages from the Old Testament come to mind. One could be Psalm 41, verses 1 and 2, that says, Blessed is the man who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in a time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And so unfortunately, and uh, many of us when we see people in need, and it could be any different types of need, we can recognize Dick needs something or Dick is in need or hurting for something and we'll do something like what James talks about. Hey, Dick, I'll pray for you, and God will make it better. If you've never studied James before, it's a very practical book about really how to live life as a Christian. Our mission here is love God, love others, and be the church. It would probably fall best under the the love others, be the church piece. But in James 2, we we read James say, What good is it, my brethren, if one of you is without clothes or food, and you say to him, Be warm and well-fed. I have faith that God will provide it for you, but you don't do anything to help that person. So what good is it? And so these people that were out with John that he's preaching to have all of these different kinds of, of comforts. They wouldn't be considered Poor, And so his challenge to them is to be charitable, to be generous. Now, I've had the luxury uh, of traveling all around the world uh, to do gospel work, and and I've seen people in places that um, the word poverty doesn't even begin to describe. Uh, We we talk about poverty here in America, and and I, I can assure you, um, I've joked joke with people that when I've gone to these places and I got into an airplane, it wasn't an airplane, it was a time machine, right? Um, to go to the wilderness of these places outside the city confines, and that's not to say that there wasn't extreme and extraordinary poverty in the cities, there was. It, it, it's just, it's something that, that words, or even if I had pictures of it, that they couldn't do justice to. In Addis Ababa, in Ethiopia, when you're on the roads, 
Um, you get to encounter lots of different things. One is herds of animals are on the road with you as you drive. And we're not driving in Lexuses and stuff like that. We're piled into something like, you know, like a Honda Civic almost with five of us piled on top of each other with no suspension, a stick shift with somebody that can't drive it, a motor that's going bad. And I mean, it's a free-for-all. But one of the most shocking things was with the traffic going this way and the traffic going that way, and I'm not joking, I actually got out and measured it. There was a one-foot median between this direction and that direction, like a little curb. People laid there and were sleeping on that. And I mean, just crazy stuff. They had nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn, no money, no home, barely any clothes. They'd have one of these little camp-like things on this little one-foot piece of curb. In the wilderness of Ethiopia or, or India or, or China, again, it was like getting in a time machine, not, not an airplane. The, the poverty. And what we do, what we can have a tendency to do is say to ourselves, I've worked hard, I've earned this, I'm going to hoard my stuff. We should work hard. We should pursue the things that, that, that you know, we, we earnestly want to pursue, but what we should not do in conjunction with that um, is be selfish, right? Because while we put in the time and the effort uh, to pursue those things, schooling, jobs, whatever, uh, the Bible clearly teaches that it's not ours. Whose is it? God's. The money that we have in our bank account, the possessions that we have at our dorm or, or, or at our apartment or our house, they're not ours, they're God's. He's renting them out, or better, loaning them out to us for the time and duration that we have those things. And so if we have a way, if we see and we have a way to help meet needs, the gospel requires us to respond to those needs. Now, does that mean everybody go out and sell everything and give it all away and all of that stuff? I don't know. The Holy Spirit's going to convict you uh, each differently in your own ways. Some of us have more of something and less of something and whatever. You've heard us, or church people use the phrase, time, talent, and treasure, right? Uh, maybe you've got an abundance of time that you can donate to either the church or to someone in need or, or some other nonprofit or something like that. Or maybe God has blessed you abundantly financially, and you can use those things to bless the church, bless God's people, bless those around us. Maybe you've got some talent like the musical singing or whatever. And I'm sure Matt's got any number of things that you could devote your time to. Busy guy, little boy, one that's almost ready to pop, and yet he's up here, he's up here singing blessing us with the gifts that, that God has bestowed on him. And, and that's going to look differently uh, for each one of us. Uh, the second piece that we see here in this is that uh, we see this candidness uh, or, or honesty. Candidness or honesty. And the candidness thing kind of uh, cuts two different ways. And the tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more 
than what you have been ordered to do. So candidness and, and, and honesty. The, the, for the candid part, uh, first of all, there's a candidness on the part of the tax collectors. And if you don't know, the tax collectors were just a despised people among the Jews or just in general during this time anyway. So what would happen is Rome or the, the, each province would enact taxes. So Rome would say you're going to get taxed this amount and then this province would have this tax and then this little town would have this tax. We're kind of familiar with the tax situation. It works a little bit similarly. But what would happen is if Matt was the tax collector, he would go to collect the taxes and he would say, you owe Rome this and you owe the province this and you owe the city this. And by the way, you owe me this or bad things are going to happen. Now, people were already strapped, many, many, many poor, and all that was doing was sort of exacerbating the problem, making it worse, taking money and possessions from people that already didn't have much to begin with. And so they were a despised people. And what John's saying here is that don't take more than what you're ordered to. We talk about taxes and some other places in the New Testament and the Bible says that taxes aren't an inherently bad or wrong thing. I'm sure we would uh, have quite a discussion if we opened that up. Uh, but what he's saying is, collect these taxes uh, that are owed. Don't impose, impose more on them. And so the candidness part here uh, is, is, is two things. One, John calling them out as a known thing. John was very candid about this. He didn't mince words, obviously, from the get-go. But there's a candidness on the part of the tax collectors, too. Because they're surrounded by people that know them and know what they do. And for them to say it out loud and admit it, right? Hey, I've got a problem. How can, how can I get out of this? Uh, there's a candidness to it. And then the, the, the principle here from John to the tax collectors, is to do it with honesty. You have some power to collect more. You have some power to say, give me more and individually fill your pockets. Don't do that. Do it honestly. Rome says this, the province says this, the city says that. Collect those things and let it be. Be honest about what you're doing. Now, the third piece that we close with is being content and being satisfied. And those uh, are similar, but, but they're a little bit different. So our passage today closes out with this, this interaction with uh, the soldiers. And the soldiers were also questioning him, saying, well, what should we also do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or extort anyone and be content with your wages. Now the soldiers here, uh, were acting on, on the behest of the Roman Empire, Roman leadership. And so uh, in any given situation, they would have had authority uh, over everything always. And so they had the power to make you do or say or not do or whatever they wanted to in these situations. You'll recall uh, different stories as we get further in this, uh, in this gospel, but certainly in the New Testament, centurions and Roman soldiers and those kinds of things where we get a little broader picture. What they would do is use 
their position of authority uh, to extort the people. So you have the tax collectors taking advantage of them, and then the soldiers doing the same kind of thing. And all sorts of nasty things uh, could happen in this regard, things that I don't even want to save from the stage. But it was about exerting power over those that were powerless. It was about exerting control uh, in situations where it was just way beyond what was, what was necessary or called for. And it didn't stop there. See, it talked about be content with your wages. See, they weren't happy. Oh, it doesn't seem like when you study this that they were a content being soldiers in the Roman army. I, I know in movies and stuff like soldiers back then can kind of seem like they're propped up to be this thing. Um, one of my favorite movies since I said Napoleon Dynamite earlier was, uh, is Gladiator. And of course, Maximus, right? He's the, a, a leader of, uh, he's a soldier, right? A leader of soldiers. But those movies don't really do it justice for most of the soldiers. They barely got paid enough, and yes, they had access to certain kinds of things, but not near uh, like what they should. In fact, um, maybe our modern military is a little bit of that. I think we take advantage, and I'm saying this firsthand as being uh, former military, I think we take advantage of our military members in, in, in different ways. Uh, shapes and forms with pay or benefits, uh, certainly those that have been in war and are coming out of it and stuff, and, and much the same back then. And so what they would use and what they could do is, is use that authority, right? And use it to extort money, use it to take things by force. And what John's telling them to do is to be content with your wages. He's saying things might not be great, but you need to be okay with your lot in life. You need to be okay with uh, what Rome is giving you and, and, and how uh, your life is working out. But uh, it goes beyond that. It's not just about accepting what is right in front of you or accepting uh, what your lot in life is. There's also a piece where you're supposed to be satisfied in it. I'll go back to one of the earlier points. Whose is this stuff? Ours or God's? God's, right? And so if we're not content and satisfied with what we have, what we've been given, then who is our discontent aimed at? Who is our dissatisfaction aimed at? God, right? Now it's being taken out on the people in these particular scenarios, but our issue is with God. God, you're not good enough. God, you're not big enough. God, you're not this. God, you're not that. And what John is saying here is you need to be content with how God is working in your life and not just content, not just okay with where you're at. You need to be satisfied with that and rest in that. Now, there's a whole multitude of ways that we could unpack just this point here uh, in the Old and the New Testament. Uh, but if we're not content with what God has already given us, then what makes us think that we're going to be content and satisfied if he gives us more? Right? If you're responsible with little, he'll do what? 
give you more, give you a lot, give you it in abundance. And that's not a magic formula. That's what Scripture says. So for this passage today, I think where this leaves us is what are areas in our life where we can clearly see I've given God this and this and this and this, but I haven't handed over that. What is that for you? It could be any number of things. I'll just keep it easy and go back to that little three T thing. Time, talent, and treasure. Maybe you're not giving of your time in whatever form that looks like. That could be time in in personal Bible study. It could be time in fellowship with other believers. It could be time as a volunteer in some way. And I'm not just talking about the church. I don't want you to think this is some ploy to get money or time or something like that. Those things are always needed. They're always going to be needed. And hopefully you're doing those things. But is that an area that you struggle with? That you hoard your time? For things that at the end of the day probably aren't very productive. They're not productive for you. They're not productive for the people around you. Or more broadly speaking, they're not really productive things for our society, for our culture to make it more and more Christ-like. Treasure. Maybe you've been abundantly given treasure. And we continue to spend it on ourselves or our loved ones or we hoard it in the bank account and that sort of thing. I'm not telling you to be irresponsible. Be responsible. But God's very specific all throughout the Bible what the expectations are about how we use our finances, how we use our money. It's God's, not ours. And so if we have plenty, then we should be giving to whatever those needs are. If you tune into those things, there is constantly information available for where there's needs. The same thing with our talents. God's blessed each and every one of us with different kinds of talents or spiritual gifts, you know, for church language. How are you using those talents? How are you using those gifts? Are you close-fisted with them? They're mine. I'm not going to give those up. I'm not going to give that up. Or are we open-handed with them? Are we generous? Are we, are we charitable? For each of us, that's going to look a little bit different. And so I, my final application here would be as you reread this passage, which hopefully you do today or this coming week, ask yourself, are there areas in your life that, that you need to repent from, to, to turn from going this direction uh, to this direction? And that's a message to fellow believers who I'm guessing most times on a Sunday morning is who I'm teaching. Obviously, the ultimate repentance for those of us that have not come to know Christ yet is to recognize 
that we are a sinful, flawed people. There is no amount of anything that we can do to right that relationship or right that wrong. What, what Scripture teaches is that, uh, that we're going to come to know and call on Jesus Christ as our Lord. And part of that, that's the gospel, part of that is to repent and turn uh, from those actions, from those behaviors, and pursue Christ, pursue God with all of our being. And so if that's the re repentance that you need today, what are you waiting for? Things aren't going to turn into sunshine and rainbows and Skittles. But your future is secure, and we'll talk more about that next week as this passage continues. There's, there's a right here and a right now, and there's this eternal peace. Where are you going to spend eternity? And that's what John's after here. That's what Jesus is after here. That's what to seek and to save the lost is after. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for your convicting spirit. Thank you for using someone like John the Baptist to just uh, cut through all the noise and just come right out with it, Lord. I think that we uh, can so often delude ourselves with busyness and, and, and the fog of life and, and all of these things, and we don't have a clear picture of who you are and, and what you're doing in our lives and in this world, Lord. And, and I pray for you to make that uh, clear and straight like the passage that we read last week, Lord. We thank you for uh, your son that makes that possible. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Be sure to stay up to date with the latest information at lscc.tv. While you're there, click on Connect to find a way to get more involved at LSCC or learn about how to put your talents to work in one of our ministries. If you've been blessed by this podcast and call LSCC home, consider supporting LSCC financially by going to lscc.tv give. Big or small, every gift helps us in our mission to love God, love others, and be the church in our mission field, near and far. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you back next week.